Welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It may be a slightly low-energy pod today because we are recording at nine o'clock on Sunday morning to accommodate Kieran's weekender. Kieran was on one yesterday and he's going on another one today. Where were you yesterday, Kieran? I was at at the wonderful Hyde Park in, in central London. Uh, and I saw the Stereophonics, Johnny Marr. So you can imagine I was in, in Smith's. He played five Smith songs and one by Electronic. So it was just fantastic. And then Pearl Jam, who, who I hate to see how many times I've seen them, but they never failed to disappoint. Yeah, I, I felt like I was here, Kieran, because it was like the BBC live tweet from Glastonbury. It's like every <laughs> one stage, I'm trying to watch a race here. I'm going to turn this phone off. <laughs> and you, and you, you missed an opportunity, I understand, Kieran, to make a bit of profit on the day. I did. Uh, I, I was. I, I have got this uh, Pearl Jam football shirt, so it's it's got Pearl Jam on the front and it's got England number seven on the back. Um, and, and this bloke offered me ninety five quid for it. And I, I'm, why ninety five quid? I don't know. And I, I was sorely tempted, but I thought, well, if if I return home topless uh, all the way to Brighton, yeah, it, it, it it's not fair on the people on the train, to be frank. Also, do you know what, Kieran? I would, I would have given you another ninety-five quid just, just for the look on the Baroness's face, because in all my years of going to festivals, drinking, I've never ever came home in any state of undress. And the idea that the, <laughs> the teetotal accountant comes home minus his t-shirt and just trying to explain to the Baroness what happened—it's <laughs> um, it's questions day, Kieran, which is nothing to the questions you would have got had you sold that t-shirt for ninety-five pounds. <laughs> Uh, We've got some very good questions today, a couple of which are historically based, which is interesting. Um, Our first question comes from Nick in Preston. Uh, And Nick in Preston has, um, every now and again, I don't know how this happens with producer guys, he he seems to have a system whereby topical questions get, get sort of seeded in, while some poor sod who's been sitting on a question for two years has to wait for another week before it appears. But Nick in Preston says, in times of austerity... Is it right that the compulsory licence fee funded BBC is buying TV rights from the already insanely wealthy Premier League and Champions League? I suppose you could turn that question on its head, Kieran, and ask Nick why he doesn't want people uh, to watch the Premier League and Champions League highlights on mainstream TV. Yeah, I think uh, the the issue of broadcasting is always a sensitive one. Um if you want to watch the Champions League this season, you have to have both a uh, Amazon subscription, which I think will cost you yeah. I think it's at least 80 quid, might be 100 quid. Then you've got BT Sport, which is 25 notes a month um, on top. So it, it is expensive business. Um, the BBC have bought the highlights. Uh, as we know, there's going to be sort of some sort of match of the day. Um and that I think I think the view is that that's going to cost twenty million pounds. And, and there was there was a story all about this uh, in the Mail on Friday, saying uh, the EFL are furious. But yeah, if you read the Daily Mail, who, yeah, there's always somebody furious, yeah. as, as as we both know, um, because apparently that they the BBC could have had uh, the EFL highlights package for just five hundred thousand pounds oh, a year right. compared to the the twenty million. Um, they're paying for the Champions League rights. Yeah, and my view is, well, why can't they have both? Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, for five hundred grand, it it does seem that that is perhaps an opportunity lost. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to one of my marketing chums to say, okay, you 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 understand these, and we spoke to other people in football. I think there was there was a sense that perhaps the BBC um, are a bit lost uh, at times in in terms of their their strategy because uh, you know from I know I know people that are cancelling BT Sport. Yeah. And they still like to watch the matches. Um, so you, you can see the benefits there. And, and somebody I spoke to uh, in marketing says, well, yeah, if we go to marketing 101, we talk about the four Ps. And, uh, you know, should the BBC have done it? You start, four, first P is price. Well, so, you know, at, at 20 million pounds, is, is that good value for the licensed player? If you're a football fan, you might say yes. If you're not a football fan, you might say no. Certainly the EFL. Does look like you know, a really good price. Yeah. 
Um, then, then he says, well, what about the product? And, you know, who, who wants to watch the highlights of Morecambe versus Rochdale? Um, well, fans of Morecambe and Rochdale um, mainly, but I, I, I still watch. I'll, I'll watch matches. Yeah, I don't care who it is. Same here. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, w- will they get the same ratings? No, they won't. Um, what about, then the third P is is your place. And I think here the BBC's got a bit of a problem. Where would the natural place be for um, the, the highlights uh, package? You know, would it be, if it's, if it's after match of the day, then I think they'd struggle to get decent viewing figures. Um, it's it's not natural for, for, for BBC Three or BBC Four. It's probably not natural for BBC Two either. So I, I think they're they're a bit bit lost on a Saturday. Although of course, yeah, you used to do match of the day too, and that was that was quite often. That was BBC Two, wasn't it, on a on a Sunday? Yeah. Um. So, so I think the BBC, yeah, but you know, if, if they show they show the WSL matches, uh, you know, and why can't they show the EFO as well? So I do think it's a lot of opportunity. Um, and the the fourth P is is promotion. Well, if I if I was an uh, if I if I was a front of shirt sponsor or if I was a, a a commercial partner, I'd be absolutely delighted that the BBC were broadcasting it because you know it's, it's more eyeballs for your product. So um, it, it's a weird one. Uh, sh- should should they do the the Champions League? Rights, which going back to to what Nick said, I I, I think that's quite good. You know, as as, as a consumer, um, yeah, I'm, I might now think twice. Uh, I was, I was I'm, I'm in the process of canning off BT Sport because there's there's nothing on during the summer anyway. Mm-hmm. Will I renew when the Champions League starts? I, I don't normally renew until we get out of the group stages because, frankly, it's you know it's it's a procession, it's dull. Um, so it's 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 an interesting one, but I, I I genuinely believe that they could do both. I agree with you. My guess is, in terms of place, I imagine they would have the highlights on a Wednesday night. I think they will create a regular ten o'clock, ten thirty slot. They will call mm. it Champions League match of the day. I don't think there's much use having a highlights package that isn't until three days after the the, the last game. If you see what I mean, so I imagine yeah, yeah. I imagine yeah. that's what they will do, and they'll they'll brand it very similarly to match of the day have a different host to, to the Saturday and Sunday shows. But you're absolutely right about the EFL highlights. I mean, uh, I, I, I get quite – I mean, I, they were tucked away in Quest, weren't they, for a couple of seasons mm. with Colin Murray hosting. Um, I get quite cross on a Saturday afternoon if Palace are away and I can't get there and you're watching Jeff Stelling and they'll say, this, you've got to see this goal. What an amazing goal. They just scored at, uh, at Accrington or, or Morgan yeah. or whatever. And you think, oh, I'd love to see that goal. Um but there's no highlights package for you to look forward to. So I, I do agree. I could never understand why there can't be a, a, an EFL highlights package on a Saturday, even mm-hmm. if it's straight after match of the day on a on a Saturday night. I can understand the option there. The Daily Mail will take any excuse to give the BBC a kicking, whatever happens. The, you know, the, B- yes. the BBC could just go to Champions League for, for nothing and the Daily Mail would find a, a reason to get annoyed about that. And, of course, they're annoyed about the BBC giving UEFA 20 million quid. It's, it's exactly what... The, British people shouldn't be giving European people any sort of money, let alone <laughs> let alone for something as trivial as football. But it's an interesting one. I think most people will be quite happy to see the Champions League highlights on the BBC. To be perfectly honest, yeah, 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 yeah. And like you say, in terms of broadcasting, I mean, unfortunately, twenty million pound looks a lot of money, but compared to the the rest of the deals, it's not. Mm. Now, um, just one pod after saying I don't understand parachute payments, we have a question about parachute payments. <laughs> which comes from Alex Skidmore. Uh, I can only apologise, Alex, for the three years of hell you must have had at primary school with uh, <laughs> with that name. It's a cracking name. Alex Skidmore says, uh, Kieran, I know you're not a huge fan of the parachute payment system, which is true, we've established that, but how would any alternative proposal to the parachute payment system ensure clubs like mine, West Brom, and others like Burnley and Norwich are not heavily handicapped through operating sustainably at a time when other owners are actively gambling with their own club's future, chasing a costly dream. Yeah, I think Alex has raised a valid point here. Um, I'm I'm not opposed to parachute payments. My view is you get rid of the need for parachute payments and and then they they automatically go. And my, my concern is the overall distribution of of money within the game 
that the gaps are too big. Reduce those gaps and you get rid of the parachutes. And remember, we've also got parachute payments in the EFL, but yeah, between the Championship and League One, between League Two and uh, the National League, that they're quite significant. Um, it, it's 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 a real conundrum because if you've got those clubs that are not reliant on owner investments. They they are at a disadvantage when they get relegated. If we take the case of West Brom, uh, because I was I was talking to somebody about this earlier this week, and they said, "Well, just just go and give them compulsory wage cuts." I said, "Well, mm-hmm. well, there's two issues here. First of all, you've you've not checked the data, um, and as you know, I, I do like data. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time that well, when West Brom were relegated in 2018, um, the following season there was a 50 percent." reduction in the wage bill so so clubs do have wage uh wage reduction um clauses in contracts for in order for uh clubs to be able to break even following relegation from the premier league even if the the parachute payments money was given to the efl and evenly distributed you would probably be looking at 80 percent pay cuts and again I, i spoke to a uh, a chief executive or a, a director at a at a club which has been relegated from the Premier League, and they said, "What what are we supposed to do? Yeah, first of all, there's there's not just problems with parachute payments. There's problems with clubs getting promoted are coming straight down again too often, yeah. and then they get you know, the, in order to have a yo yo, you've got to have both halves of the yo. So it's 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 all very well." people getting their knickers in a twist about there's too many clubs getting relegated who are getting promoted again, but then they're getting relegated again. So, you know, there, there's that, that whole area of distribution needs to be addressed. How do you sign a player in January when you are 17th or 18th in the Premier League when you're offering them an 80% pay cut in six months' time? It's simply not going to happen. And therefore, it sort of guarantees that club's going to be relegated. So... It's it's a much broader issue. Um, I I would personally uh, look towards uh, a greater issue of pooling of revenues. So uh, you know, I, I'd move to the NFL style model where the home teams keep sixty percent of the revenue. The rest of it gets pooled and is distributed within football. We do the same in respect of some of the commercial deals as well, and, and that will take away the. Yeah, the rather boring football that we have in the sense that people say, oh, it's really exciting. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's the same clubs in the Champions mm. League every season. Mm. Yeah, we've just been talking about Champions League. Well, why uh, why, why should it be the same you know, four or five clubs every year? Mm. Uh, I think both halves of the O is now my new favourite expression. <laughs> it sounds like one of those American self-help books. It does. You need both halves of the O. Let this book... Hey, well, we- we, we should we should write a self help book with that as the title. Shit! If people are turning to us for self help, Kieran, then the world is. <laughs> well, no, they've turned to Jimmy Carr for it. Let's face it; you know, we can't, don't, we can't be any worse. They don't. They don't turn to Jimmy Carr. He wrenches them towards him. <laughs> yeah, the idea of taking self help from Jimmy Carr. Uh, yes. Not even can't even sort his hairline out. Um, God love him. Um, Declan Moody has a question, and it's a question he says that he's been wondering about for a while. When Leicester won the Premier League in 2016, that is quite a while to be wondering about anything. Um, A lot of bookies and punters made a big deal about people who won £50,000 through putting £10 randomly on them to win it at the start of the season, as if the bookies had made huge losses. Now, obviously, they would have made all the money back from people betting on the other big clubs to win the league that year. So my question is, do we know how much of a win-loss did the bookies actually make from Leicester winning that league title? Did they benefit or lose? Oh, they they made a fortune because, um, you know, what happened was as Leicester got closer and closer to winning the title, all of the the media outlets were, were desperately scrabbling around for the half a dozen people who put you know, yeah. a tenner on yeah. on Leicester to win five hundred to one. Um, so the uh, the bookmakers make their money from all uh, long long odds. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the nature of it is is they yeah because the bookmakers have to be competitive against one another. The odds in terms of the favourites tend to be quite uh, you know quite fairly priced, um, and, and then for the for the you know for those other runners and riders, uh, they they can quote whatever they want, and it's 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 just a uh, it's, it's just a loyalty bet. Um, so yeah, very very good year 
for the the bookmakers uh, was was 2016 because everybody thought it was going to be Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, or Manchester City, or, or perhaps perhaps you know a few on Spurs as well. Of course. Yeah. Uh, the, the worst thing that can happen to a bookmaker is for the favourite to win anything. And oh yes, I think sometimes Kieran, people who don't uh, have a bet don't fully realise that the reason a horse or a football team is the favourite it's not because the book is decided that they're their favourite; it's because that's the horse or the football team that most money has been put on. Yes, it's all to do with the weight of money. It's, You're absolutely it's right. It's all to do with the weight of money. So uh, clearly, if a horse is an even money favourite, that means not much money has gone on with the other horses. So they want that one to lose. But um, it, it, also, Declan, the answer to the question nearly is nearly always the bookies are going to win. Don't worry. <laughs> yes. um, uh, Stephen Wise has a question. And Stephen starts quite sweetly, Kieran, by pointing out that he had you as a tutor at MMU and you were great. Exclamation mark! You always made accounting theory fun and engaging. Exclamation mark! I would have knocked a couple of points off for the uh, excessive use of exclamation marks, Kieran. But but it's lovely that you were great and you made accounting theory fun and engaging. Um, imagine if you turned up topless for that, those lessons because you just sold, yes. sold a t-shirt to a random bloke outside. Um, <clears throat> Stephen says he's been reading about Barcelona impairing the values of some players to make their financial situation look worse in the short term, but better after this accounting period. Have any Premier League clubs impaired the values of their players? And is that allowed within FFP rules here? I guess it would be allowed in the case of a career-ending injury, but I assume there may be a justification for reduced carrying value on players in light of a quieter market due to covid is it difficult to agree what the right level of impairment would be? Right. For, for those people unfamiliar with the concept of impairment, mm-hmm. uh, what happens? <laughs> what, what happens is if you take a look at the the value of a footballer in the annual accounts, it's it's cost less the amortisation uh, charge. So if if you sign a player for fifty million quid on a five year contract, you say at the end of year one you've got one year's amortization has gone. So you take 50, you take away the 10 amortization and you say, well, his accounting value is, is 40 million. Now, what you also have to do is if you've got to say, well, are we going to get that 40 million back? So um, there, there could be, there could be reasons why you, you don't think you get that 40 million pounds back, in which case you have to do this thing called an impairment uh, where you, you reduce him to the market value. So it could be that he's shite. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's a technical phrase we use in in the world of accounting. Um, it could be that he's had a career-ending injury. Um, it could be, um, I think it was it was it was it Schneiderlin was it uh, Schweinsteiger uh, when when Mourinho came in to uh, Manchester United and he he wanted to show that he was boss, so he sent one of the players who'd been signed by Van Hal yeah. uh, into in, into train with the kids, and and United wrote down their value. Or it could be due to relegation. So if we take a look at what happened with Aston Villa in 2016, they wrote down the value of the whole squad by 35 million. Right. Now, the issue that, um, that that Stephen has raised, is it difficult on what the right level of impairment would be? It's absolutely. And, and this is this is where uh, the, I think, is, is manipulation the wrong word? No, probably not. Uh, this is where the manipulation of the of the numbers can arise because if you've got quite a bit of a financial fair play overhang, you remember you're allowed to lose 105 million over three years. It could be that you've only lost 30 or 40 million. There's a good excuse for shifting a load of costs in impairment, reduce the value of your squad. That increases your losses this year, which means that you'll be charging less amortisation in future years and that will allow you to uh, be in a better position for FFP. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm quite sceptical when I see uh, some of the impairment calculations put through, um, especially, uh, you know, so, so some of the stuff that we've seen in respect of COVID, uh, because if you take a look at the actual amount of money being spent in the transfer market, it's it's not fallen by as much as as some of the clubs are claiming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's a this is this is a classic uh, this is a classic creative accounting issue, which uh, in my view is is not really addressed by the authorities uh, 
with enough attention. Mm. Uh, we started that question, Kieran, with Stephen uh, praising you as a tutor. Perhaps we'd like to end it by uh, reassuring Stephen that he was a brilliant student. Stephen, Steve, Steve O, you, you, you were great, and and, and, I, and I hope that your career uh, is uh, is kind of drop me a line, and I'll send you a signed copy of the book, mainly because there aren't any unsigned <laughs> copies of the book, um, and and it's good that you're back in touch. Oh, no wonder he thought you were fun and engaging if you called him Steve O. Uh, <laughs> called me Steve O. Guy's great. Um, question from James Leedale. Uh, and I like the way this question from James Lee Dale starts because James says, I think I remember Kieran saying, um, the reason I like that is because I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in a pub before a Palace game and someone's asked me a football finance question and I go, well, I think I remember Kieran saying it was amortised. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I think I remember Kieran saying that the profit or loss considered for FFP purposes is the parent company's profit and loss. Does this not open an opportunity for creative accounting or using profits of any of the other owners of other companies to reduce the group's loss? Uh, is this what the City Group and Man City exploited in UEFA's unsuccessful ban? Um, yes and no. Uh, it, the City Group's finances were not reviewed by UEFA. Uh, it was those of, of Manchester City Football Club. Um, but are there opportunities to manipulate figures as far as groups are concerned? Um, y- yes, there are. So um, if, if you take a look at uh, Manchester City's director's pay, um, it's zero. And you go, well, that's, that's blimey. You know, I, I, you know, I, I thought City were big payers. Um, and therefore, if it's, if it's a zero cost, nothing goes through against financial fair play, um, which, which is great. If you then take a look at the City Football Group and you take a look at the uh, director's pay, I think they call it senior management pay there, it's about eight or nine million. So you go, oh, hold on, who's, who's paying that? Why, why Manchester City not on the hook for any of that? Um, so um, th- there is an opportunity for um, money to be transferred around groups. I'm not saying it takes place, of course, uh, but it is, uh, yeah, well, once again, Another form of creative accounting opportunity. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you entirely, James. And I'm sure you were a good student wherever you studied as well. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> let's, yeah, let, let's not alienate those people who didn't go to university here and or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or indeed were asked to leave after three months. Um, <laughs> Connor Daly has our next question. Uh, Connor says, I'd be interested in hearing your opinion on the issuance of so-called football mini-bonds in recent Mm. years as a method of raising finance for football clubs. QPR issued such a bond to raise finance to develop their training ground, while Norwich City and AFC Wimbledon have similarly issued bonds in the past. Indeed, at our first live show here, and we spoke quite at length Mm. about this. Do you see these as unduly risky investments for retail investors, in this case fans, or as a creative and cheaper way for clubs to raise finance in challenging times? Um, this is this is a very fair question, mm. uh, Connor. And um, the first thing I'd say is that we are not qualified to give financial advice, mm. um, neither myself or Kevin, uh, or producer guy, uh, or Finlay. Um, Finlay's, Finlay's better qualified than I am, to be fair to the honest. I'll be honest, I, I have... Uh, lent money via these bonds to football clubs. Uh, I won't say which clubs, um, but I've, I've been involved in uh, two or three of these. Um, uh, and, and what happens is is the football club effectively gives you a piece of paper and you give the football club money and then they pay you interest. And uh, the, the interest rates are far higher than you would get than if you stuck money into uh, a bank account or a building society account. Um, there are often uh, incentives in the sense that if the club gets promoted or qualifies for the Champions League, um, then there could be additional payments made. Um, at the same time, that comes with risk because uh, yeah, if you stick your money in a bank, you are covered by a government uh yeah, a, a government bond, so that yeah, I think it's is it the first seventy five thousand pounds is is guaranteed mm. by the Financial Securities Association or something you know, FCA or something like that. Um, whereas in football, if the club goes bust, you, you're knackered mm. uh, because it's an unsecured loan that you are making to the football club. Um, we've seen with uh, you know, the number of clubs that have gone into administration 
that that it's not it's not a risk free industry. So I, I would say to Connor, um, if you've got a portfolio of investment and you want to get something which has a uh, you know, a, a high coupon rate, then it is worth considering. Would I put all of my money into one of these? Certainly not. So yeah, you know, it, it's 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 like all investments; they they come with a level of risk. Um, it's it's beneficial in the sense that you will get a, a high rate of interest, but there's no guarantee that the club's going to pay it. And yeah, you know, as far as I was concerned, yeah, you know, for me, Norwich, I think, is such a well-run club that the 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 risk of non-payment I always classified as low. But that's that's up to you. Uh, Connor or any other people listening, that's for you to make that assessment. Uh, Kieran, you'd make a terrible spy because you you started by saying you weren't going to tell us which clubs you lent money to, and now you've told us it was Norwich. Um, <laughs> do do these clubs, Kieran, market these as an investment opportunity, or do they market them as a way of helping the club and helping yourself to a degree as well? I think I think they uh, they ride both horses right. with respect of that. Um, in, in respect of Norwich, I think it was for new training facilities. In respect of Wimbledon, it was in respect of the funding for the new stadium yep. uh, at Plough Lane in in Wimbledon. Uh, you know, and, and we've been there. We we did our first live show there, so we've got a huge affection for the place. Um, and 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 it worked. You know, uh, they they have in the main proven to be pretty popular. Uh, with, uh, with with lenders, stroke fans, yeah, and, and the, the, these clubs that have done it, they've, they've they're very responsible. I mean, they, these are there's no element whatsoever of these being fly by night investment schemes. They're, they're all very well researched and uh, very well put together, aren't they? Um, they are. I mean, there are are all ninety two clubs worthy of the same degree of. Uh, Generosity. Yeah. If I was, if I was a lender, right. I, I would say no. Okay. Um, so, so I think I think you've got to assess it on a club by club basis. Yeah. Um, David Martin has a question that we always like because there's an element of nostalgia involved. Because um, when it comes to football and music uh, and nothing else, we are quite nostalgic. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Uh, David Martin says, I recently watched a documentary about Nottingham Forest and looking at the state of the pitches in European games in the 70s and 80s, I started wondering how much modern clubs spend on groundskeeping and what the regulations are regarding the quality of pitches. Can you shed some light on these two things? As it happens, uh, David, for another project, I've been researching the FA regulators on pitches and they are, I think even Kieran would nod off at some stage, <laughs> they are—they are—they are microscopic indeed. The, the the level of detail that the FA set out about the quality of pitches at all levels is astonishing, mm. in, including um, at some stage the shade of green the grass can be, um, the length of grass. The pitch pitch regulations are incredibly detailed, incredibly detailed. But as as to how much that costs, Kieran, can you shed more light? Yeah, and and the Premier League are the same. You yeah. know, it can't be longer than thirty millimeters. Um, I, 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 something I hadn't thought of, but then I thought, hold on, what's going on? Um, you can only have straight lines. Yeah, on on the way that the, the grass is cut. Because yeah. I used to love some of the really wacky groundsman's uh, productions, but no, that that's all been binned off. Um, and and it's got to be. And this is, I think, our silver tongued lawyer, the friends would love this. It's got to be predominantly. Natural grass, yeah, 
in terms of yeah the, the definition of artificial grass is uh, so so what predominantly means is uh, I think yeah that that's that's got to be worthy at least three or four days worth of discussion in a law court. Well, also the, um, the, the definition of artificial as well. It's in the FA's rules about the quality of artificial it's it's you're lucky david that you've got us to do these things for you basically because you, you don't want to go there complicated let's put it that way yes um but on, in terms of of the costing um I, I think you you'd be looking at a minimum um of 500k to install a pitch prob but i think for some of the premier league clubs play certainly play a significant multiple of that um and, and then you've got the the ground stuff yourself now i i have a friend who who, who worked at a, a premier league club um on the ground staff uh, and I, I won't mention his name uh because uh he, he might be upset if i did but he said you would normally have uh three to four uh, groundsmen at the stadium mm. working on various things on top of that, you'll have 10 to 12. I was gobsmacked, 10 to 12 at the training ground. And then you'd have a, a head groundsman whose responsibility would be to say to the team, you know, this, I want you to look after this area today or that area. So, you know, it's, it's an expensive business in, in terms of maintenance because uh, it, it is a labor intensive uh, job. You know, it's, it's not like one of those. I, I don't know whether any, uh, I, I remember once I, I bought a, I bought a fridge. Um, and it it came along with one of the, yeah you get these really weird free offers with one of those robot uh, robot vacuum cleaners which sort of switch themselves on and off automatically yeah the circular ones mm-hmm. uh, which looks like a giant frisbee uh, but but they 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 made uh, Finley practically shit himself because they because we'd be out. <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, the, the, this robot vacuum cleaner would would turn itself up. We we come home and, and Finley be cowering at the top of the stairs. So so we had to bin that off. So you so see, but you can't have sort of robot, uh, you know, mowing no. of, of the of, of the grass. It, it is still a labour intensive. So it, it's gonna it's gonna be an expensive, you know, especially at, at Premier League level when when they've got. Uh, when they've got training facilities which are so sophisticated these days, it's going to be a very expensive uh, annual job as well. Because you know that one million pounds is for the uh, the pitch at the main stadium. But what we're now starting to see is uh, that there's quite a few clubs that in their training facilities they will have one pitch which has exactly the same dimensions as that of the of, of the club itself so that players sort of develop a muscle memory mm. in terms of if I'm standing here I know it's 55 yards to the the touch line and, and they and they practice that and that that pitch will be cut in exactly the same mm. way as as the the ground itself so you know, we are certainly talking at Premier League level millions uh i, I know I, I saw i think it was uh gary neville's documentary well you know the sky's documentary and the bbc's documentary about salford and you know the, the the issues they had in terms of their training facilities so it's as you drop through the leagues it's it's, it's much reduced mm. yes because of course at premier league level you've got under soil heating which is compulsory mm. you've got the mm. artificial lighting uh, system that they need the irrigation system is very 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 expensive um yeah uh, I, I, was, I nearly made a terrible link there Kim, about how expensive it is to fly to australia um that, that i would have i would have been <laughs> proud of it um and i'm glad i didn't uh it's where our next question comes from uh australia uh, jordan Lorusso says, my question is about salary caps with our domestic league, the A-League, imposing one since its inception. My general understanding is that salary caps are meant to improve competitiveness of teams and prevent a team backed by a millionaire from effectively monopolising the league. As a keen economic student, I'm interested to hear your views on the impacts of a salary cap outside of the obvious ones. Is a club's income-generating ability restricted by a salary cap, for example? And how about the league overall? Have there been any leagues that have scrapped the salary cap to see clubs go under or, conversely, improve their finances? Right. Uh, sensitive topic, uh, salary caps. Mm. Um, the, the theory is that you, you can have two types of salary cap. You can have, first of all, what's referred to as a fixed cap. And this is what the owners of the EFL clubs tried to do in leagues one and two 
uh, when, when COVID was was around, uh, or where COVID was around, and, and we couldn't attend matches. Should I say COVID is sadly still around, as we all know. Um, and uh, there was a 2.5 million cap in League One, and there was a 1.5 million cap in League Two, and that's when we, we had our, our good friend Nick DeMarco came on the show to explain why uh, he successfully defended that on, on behalf of, of the PFA. Mm. Um, if if that is the case, you know, some some clubs are significantly better off if, if they can get if because they're generating a lot more money and, and that that additional money uh, effectively goes to the owners. Um, if if you're originally below the cap, um, there's a danger that the cap becomes a target. That it, you know your your players say, well, you know, our wage bill is only. 2 million. We know that the overall cap's 2.5 and, and they go knocking on the chairman's door or the chief executive's door demanding more money. So, so it, it, caps can work in both ways uh, in terms of, of their impact. Um, as far as uh, working elsewhere, the Premier League did have a wage cap um, and, and nobody knew about it because when, when they introduced it, it, it was quite easy to, to satisfy. Mm. So therefore, if you if you if you if you set a wage cap, we've got a wage cap, and you say it's a billion pounds, and hold on, hold on, the average wage bill in the Premier League is only one hundred and fifty mil. Then it then it just becomes uh, yeah, it comes a bit of a joke. But they they did have a wage cap, and it was starting to it was genuinely starting to have teeth. So therefore, the Premier League went and scrapped it, which <laughs> which which seemed a bit daft, mm. and they scrapped that. I think it was uh, twenty eighteen nineteen. Um, so, so that's that's where we are. I mean, the the, the broad issues in terms of uh, salary caps and, and and the good versus bad is that there's a salary cap in the NFL, for example, and that works really well because if you're an NFL football player and uh, you ask for more money and the club says, well, we go above the cap, what else are you going to do? Because you've got the NFL or the NFL. Whereas if we take a look at what's happened with uh, rugby union here in, in England, there were lots of clubs that were losing a fortune when the game turned professional. They introduced a salary cap. So what did the players do? They said, well, there's not a salary cap in France. Mm. We're off to France. Yeah. Um, and it's similar in, you know, paradoxically, there's also a, uh, there's a salary cap in rugby league which is about a third of the cap that you get in rugby union. So what are rugby league players doing? Yeah, if, if they're if they're promising at all, they say, yeah, we, we love the game, uh, and I love rugby league. You know, I've you know, lived in the northwest for uh, most of my life. I, I used to I love going along to rugby league games, but they're leaving rugby league to go to rugby union. So so you salary caps are distortions to markets, um, and, and in my view, that they're, they're quite a crude tool. Uh, which, which doesn't work particularly well. Mm. Uh, interesting enough, I was listening for reasons that escaped me now, as I thought, there's so much sport. I had five minutes in the kitchen doing something, and I thought, I can't, I've been watching sport all day, and I'm going to be watching it all evening. So I'm going to have to have the radio on for uh, to listen to some sport. And it was Magic Magic Saturday, did they call it? Rugby, yeah. rugby League, where there's like six games in a day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which I yeah, yeah. And, uh, honestly, the commentary and the pundits are just... Fantastic. Um, mm. But at, at least twice during that five minutes, they mentioned separate players were going off to play rugby union in France. Mm. So that mm. explains why. So our penultimate question comes from Lee Blunt. Um, I'm going to stick with Lee Blunt uh, because there's a random uh, O in the name. So it might be Lee Blount. Uh, but since the Binface saga, when, <laughs> when Guy introduced <laughs> random letters into names, um, I'm, I'm reluctant to do any assumptions about anybody's name now, especially as I've just noticed that uh, guys added a T to the end of Lee. Yes, I that too. Yes. So it could actually be Light Blount. I don't. It, it could, it, I don't know. But we'll, let's stick with Lee Blunt um, rather than something that sounds like a colour. Uh, let's. We're going to do the. We're going to do the back room. Light Blount. It's lovely. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it in that voice. Uh, but Lee Blunt says, thank you for the fantastic podcast. You may have changed his mind about our fantastic podcast, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, thank you for the fantastic podcast, said Lee. That's very kind of you to say so, Lee. Thank you. A friend put me onto your fine work, and I'm currently working my way through the back catalogue. 
Um, you are brave. Uh, well, also, if he's working his way through the back catalogue, he won't have any, any idea what the Binface saga is. Yeah, he's rendered even more pointless. So anyway, um, Lee says apologies. No, you shouldn't be apologising, Lee. We should be apologising to you. <laughs> Lee says apologies if this has been asked already and I've not got to it yet. It hasn't, Lee, so you're, you're laughing. I'm interested to know the final outcome, if there has been one, of the Adrian Mutu saga. He was fired by Chelsea, who for the past 10 years have been pursuing recompense through one court after another. Um, I, I, from memory, there was talk about trying to get money back from Juventus Sampdoria, who had possibly signed him while the situation was in some murky grey area. Um, Mutu, of course, sacked for uh, drug use. But at least there's any info, gladly welcome for me to put this one to bed in my mind. Okay, uh, well, Lee or Leet, uh, <laughs> depending upon <laughs> whether Guy's got this spelling correct. Um, for, the, for again, uh, as Kevin has hinted at, uh, Adrian Mutu was a Romanian player. He was signed uh, by Chelsea, and he then failed a test for cocaine. He was given a seven-month ban by the FA, and Chelsea said, "You're in breach of contract. We're going to sack you." Uh, and they tried to recover the unamortized element of his transfer fee, which was £15.5 million. And that went to uh, a few uh, a, a few arbitrations, and Chelsea were indeed uh, deemed to be uh, in receipt of that. Um, but Mutu, uh, Mutu, by this stage, was, was in Italy. Uh, they, they weren't getting very far uh, trying to get the money from Mutu. He went to three appeals, uh, two ended up in Cass. Um, and because he had joined an Italian club, uh, Chelsea said, well, if he signed, yeah, we, we've we've sacked him. You've now signed for an Italian club. We've not had compensation. So we now start to try to get money back from mm. the clubs that he's joined. Um, that didn't get particularly far. Um, I think the most recent court case in respect to this, because Mutu's, Mutu would be bankrupt um, if... Uh, uh, if, if he paid the money, uh, also I think he's I think he's had four divorces. Wow. Um, he's uh, all of whom appear to be models. Mm. So you know, I don't know whether he's making some. Uh, yeah, perhaps he's perhaps he's not a very good. You know, well, perhaps he's not you know, the, the best of people to be with. Uh, you know, taking drugs and uh, he's, he's, he doesn't seem to uh, be able to, to to stay married for very long as well. Um, he's now he's now back in Romania. Um, it looks like Chelsea have not had the money. Um, you know how they're going to get through the Romanian courts. I, I, I suspect uh, he uh, they will struggle there. So it's it's just one one of those things. Uh, it, it did seem like you know quite quite a, a harsh decision, perhaps at the time. Uh, yeah, not that we are condoning or uh, uh, encouraging people to to take uh, cocaine uh, at the workplace, um, but uh, you know. I think this was more to do with the fact that they wanted to sack him because it was it, it was Mourinho was the manager and he didn't like Mutu, um, which which was an issue we've already discussed in respect of other players. So uh, as far as the position at present is concerned, Lee, my understanding is that it's an outstanding amount which is still due to Chelsea, um, and uh, they've got two hopes of getting it, which is uh, Bob Hope and No Hope <laughs> and Bob Stead. Yes, sir. Um... You do realise, Kieran, you inadvertently encouraged or condoned people to take cocaine at home. You specified. Oh, right. You specified. <laughs> yes. Don't do it in the workplace. I think producer guy might like us to say, hey, try not to take it at home, kids. But, yeah, what you do in your own time is fine by you. It does make, Mutu doesn't sound like a decent chap, does he? It doesn't make you wonder how he sleeps at night. And the answer, of course, he doesn't. But there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, our final question comes from Neil Sterland. Uh, and had, Do you think he's related to Mel? Oh, oh I don't know. I wonder. Oh. It's, it's not a common name, is it? No, it's not, actually. No, it's a good question. We'll have to find out from Neil. Let us know. Um, and at the rate we're getting around to answering questions, we'll find out in about seven months. But we, we may <laughs> we may find out quicker because it's it's handy that this is a question about Plymouth Argyle mm. because um, we are coming to Plymouth Argyle next for our third live show, and we will be there at the end of September um, the date is yet yeah. to be finally confirmed, but we are definitely going to Plymouth Argyle at the end of September. So we look forward to seeing you there if you're from Plymouth or indeed from Devon. That'd be, and we are really looking forward to it. Um, I can't wait to get back. I've been to Plymouth. I spent so many happy weekends in Plymouth. 
with my first girlfriend. I can't wait to get back. Um, she's not still there, just before, in case anyone, <laughs> in case anyone wonders if Ali's listening to this. Um, Neil Sterling says, prior to Christmas, my six-year-old decided... She, she, she's not. She's no, not, she's not. Kevin. No, we've, no, we've no you're quite right. She's not listening to you. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, uh, prior to Christmas... Oh, how did... Uh, speaking of the partners, how did the uh, gin afternoon go for the Baroness, by the way? Uh, oh, well, the the Baroness uh, was uh, was very very cheerful because she was. Uh, you, you always tell by sort of uh, why why is why, why have you sent me six texts in the last hour to tell me that you love me? <laughs> yeah, this is sort of like eight o'clock at night. Um, and, and whilst I was rocking out to Pearl Jam, uh, she she was in uh, the equivalent heaven because she was there was a take that tribute band at Ginfest. Oh my god! Uh, which which by all accounts uh, was amazing. I I I when we started uh, when we started dating, uh, I, I decided to take one for the team and I took her to see take that the musical I think it was called never forget mm. um and I I wish I could uh, never forget that experience and it was uh it was it was in London uh it was uh 75% hen parties 25% gay or male gay male couples and me uh and, and it was uh it, it was one of the most painful experiences uh, of my life, yeah. So, yeah, we've all got different musical tastes. Yeah, so you, you, you say that you try working with them on a five for five days on an ITV Christmas special. Two of them. Uh, let's just say, are never going to win Mastermind. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway, sorry, you've had to wait a long time for the answer to this question. Prior to Christmas, my six-year-old decided he wanted the Plymouth Argyle goalkeeping kit because he wants to be Michael Cooper. Uh, I had a look on Argyle's website and couldn't get one. You could get the home goalkeeping kit, but only away shorts. So I popped along to the club shop to pick one up, and there were none in stock because um, his son obviously wanted the away kit. Um, I asked when they would get more in, and as before, they will have no new stock until the new kit is released, as they'd sold through their quota. My question is, and again, it just shows how obsessed our listeners are with kits, is it normal for EFL clubs to only get a set amount of units per season from the kit makers? Argyle seem to be losing out in lost revenue, as they could have sold a load more kits at Christmas and for fans' birthdays, etc. Um, yes, I, I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, as far as uh, clubs are concerned, the the manufacturers tend to do production runs because you know, quite often they are producing uh, for you know th- you know they might have a dozen clubs here in England, they might have clubs here you know, you know in other countries around the world, and therefore they they estimate what they consider to be an appropriate level uh, of of kits to be sold. They do that on the basis of past experience, um, and they and they do that through the sizes. Um, what the clubs don't want to do is to be left in March stroke April. You know, we've got 27 home goalkeeper shorts that we've not sold yeah. in youth sizes. And therefore we're going to have to go and sell them at the end of the season at, at below cost. So, you know, the club end up, ended up losing money. So um, it, it is, uh, it, it is more difficult as you drop through the divisions, trying to get those numbers uh, accurate um, and, and it does mean that there are, unfortunately, as as Neil's son has uh, experienced, that, uh, uh, you know, that there there will be some some sizes um, and there will be some uh, product lines which which have simply sold out because they might have said, well, you know, six year old away goalkeeper shorts, we probably only sell half a dozen of those, yeah. and if you're the seventh person. Um, but uh, you know, we, we know that our friends at Plymouth uh, listen to the show, so. Uh, you know, if, if they want to get in touch with us, uh, you know, we will we will do all we can to uh, try to make sure that that Neil's young man uh, uh, is is looked after uh, in terms of when the next kit comes out. Yeah, yes, we will. That's very kind of us. Um, thank you for that, Kieran. Um, and thanks to everyone who has donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you thought that the date of our next uh, live show was the only thing you had to announce, uh, you were wrong because uh, we've got some good news for our Patreons coming up in the next week or so. We're actually going to offer them something, Kieran, 
on a on a weekly tangible basis whether they want it or not i don't know but it's 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 finally we've decided that we need to do a bit more for patrons and occasionally read out their names yeah. which it turns out with hindsight guy may have written down wrongly anyway so, and of course <laughs> if you have a question you'd like answered on the show email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and in the meantime i know he's got another exciting day ahead i shall hand you over to the customary care of mr kieran Maguire. Well, as always, folks, uh, thank you very much. And and quite a few of our Patreons have been in contact with us uh, over the course of the last two or three days because I have been able to give out uh, some uh, audible codes for the uh, for the uh, the spoken version of of the Price of Football book. Um, and by all accounts, it has been successful in in curing insomnia, as as predicted. Um, so, so that's that's one way of supporting the show, um, and, and we'd love to see you in Plymouth as well for those people living in that area. I, I, I would I wouldn't travel from overseas uh, to see it. Yeah, you know, we, we have to be realistic here. Uh, when I went to see Pearl Jam yesterday, they they, he, they, they had lots of people uh, showing the flags of the countries they were from. Okay, well, I, I, I think we might struggle to match that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I could imagine us walking out on stage at Plymouth Argyle, would see loads of middle aged men waving flags. <laughs> there might be one from Cornwall you know, kick it off no well because what, well, we, what we like what we like to do maybe Anna Ankerno I went out with a girl once who was part of the Cornish Liberation Front which I don't think actually existed but um, <laughs> uh, what we encourage people to do Kieran rather than uh, wave flags of course is turn up in their in their football shirts so that's absolutely important. absolutely um, so yes, there's there's another way that you can support the show, uh, and and that's to go to the app with which you listen to the show through, um, and you can give us a review because it helps us in the charts, it it boosts us in terms of the algorithm according to producer guy, um, and, and it generally makes a difference in terms of when we're trying to to, to book people to come on the show as well. Uh, yeah, myself and Kevin, we we normally work out that we we are supposed to be on the show, but trying to persuade others is is, is more complex. Um, to, and, and by all accounts, it doesn't matter what you write in the review. So you could say you'd rather see it presented by Dappy from Endubs and John Craven. And I think that'd be personally, I think that'd be a fantastic show. But it it it, it wouldn't bother myself and Kevin. Our our egos can cope with that. Uh, from experience, I can tell you that one of those two people uh, would last about thirty five seconds before going off to meet somebody important and then come back again for another minute and would last for another 35 seconds. And let's just say it's not John Craven. Okay. <laughs> um, some people's attention spans are even shorter than mine. Um, you do occasionally have to persuade me to come on the show. You have to persuade me to come on at 9 o'clock. You really, yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's right. That really was quite a tense one. I thought it was a misprint. <laughs> what, what is nine o'clock? Just, just, just to accommodate your gallivanting this weekend. Have a, I know you're having a comedy day today, so I hope you enjoy the shows. And we'll see you all next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the fall.